This event in Matthew 21 is paralleled in Mark 11 and in Luke 20. And the parallels are very close. Very close parallels. But reading from Matthew's text, the text tells us, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning within themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people. For they all consider John to be a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. He also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We are thankful that you're here today. And we want to simply point you to Scripture. We want to point you to His Word. But thank you for being a part with us. The text tells us, in verse 23, it tells us that the chief priests and the elders of the people approached Jesus in this way. I told you that the parallels are pretty precise. But in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke, it also includes the scribes in this list. The scribes, the elders of the people, and the chief priests. These were religious leaders of the people. These were members of the Sanhedrin. And if you look at the passage, the passages that I put beside of this, Matthew 26.3 and 26.57 and 27.41, these are passages that show us that in the crucifixion, in the plans of the crucifixion, and even as Jesus is on the cross, these groups are all in opposition to Jesus. As Micah mentioned just a moment ago, these are events that are going to quickly take us to the cross. We are in the last week of the life of Jesus. And the religious leaders do not appreciate what Jesus has done. They don't appreciate Him coming in and cleansing the temple and overturning the tables of the money changers. He had not asked for their permission to do that. And they asked, by what authority are you doing that? Why do you have the right to come in here and cleanse the temple? You haven't asked permission from any of the temple authorities? You haven't been taught in any school of the rabbis? You don't have your credentials? What authority do you have to do such a thing? And Jesus uses a familiar 
technique of the rabbis. They often would answer a question with a question. The attempt is not simply to avoid the original question. Often the question that's asked helps people to understand the answer to the first question. And that's what Jesus is doing here. They said, by what authority are you doing these things? He said, before I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things, let me ask you a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Everybody knew about John the Baptist. Nothing he did was done in a corner. John the Baptist and his preaching and his teaching were on full display before all the nation. And certainly this group of religious leaders who viewed themselves as experts on such matters should have an opinion about John. They should have understood who he was and what the source of his authority was. But he says, the baptism of John, is it from heaven or is it from men? Now, the baptism of John may have been the most controversial part of John's ministry to these religious leaders. John's popularity was immense in Matthew 3. All Judea, all the region around the Jordan was coming to be baptized of him. But Matthew 3 tells us the Pharisees and Sadducees also came to be baptized of him. And when they came to him, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is coming? Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, in that passage, it is interesting that first of all, John is baptizing Jewish people. He's not baptizing Gentiles. He's baptizing Jewish people. And he is telling them they need to repent. Because the kingdom of God is coming. He is calling Jews to repent. And while many of the common people received this message gladly, in Luke 7 verse 29 and 30 we find the tax collectors and sinners received this message gladly. But often these religious leaders rejected that very message as John seems to point out when he addresses the Pharisees and Sadducees as a brood of vipers. The baptism of John, from what source? Is it from heaven or is it from men? Now I want you to notice in the answer as we are let in on the deliberation of these chief priests and elders of the people, there is never a bit of concern for what is right or what is truth. Not for a moment. Their only concern is how to respond to what he says. 
If we say it's from heaven, you can say, why do you believe it? But if we say it's from men, we're afraid of the people. For they consider John to be a prophet. In Luke 20 verse 6, the text tells us they feared they would be stoned by the people. John the Baptist enjoyed immense popularity, which only increased after he was beheaded by Herod. Are these religious leaders siding with Herod who killed John? After all, that was the penalty for being a false prophet in Deuteronomy 13. Are these religious leaders actually more in sympathy with Herod? then they are the common people who know that he speaks from God. Again, no concern for truth. Simply a concern to avoid the pressing question that Jesus may counter, the, the counter question that Jesus may ask. And so they respond, we don't know. We don't know. Here, the religious leaders of the nation who view themselves as experts, who come to Jesus to question His ministry, by what authority are you doing these things? As if they can judge Jesus' credential and they don't know whether John was from God. And he says, I'm not going to tell you either. I'm not going to answer your question and tell you by what authority I do this. The question that the chief priests and the elders ask, by what authority? is a good question. It's a good question we all ask. And I can illustrate that really quickly. Let's say at the end of services today, I rush out to the parking lot and pull out a pad of paper. And I start giving everybody a ticket for any conceivable parking or driving violation. You know what you're going to ask? You're going to ask, do you have the authority to do that? And it can be something bad or it can be something good. It may be that I could go outside and sign checks for everyone that you can cash instantly, since you can cash it instantly for $10,000 signed for the state of Indiana. And you would ask, well, hopefully then, but you would ask, by what authority are you doing that? It, it's an understandable question that we all ask in every kind 
of situation in life. And none of us appreciate someone speaking in our name and I imagine all of us who've lived a while have had this happen to us. And someone speaks in our name and said, he said, when we know we didn't say that. And in some cases, it doesn't represent our thoughts or ideas at all. Now, just looking at this on a human level, look at Galatians 2, and I want to show you Something comparing Galatians 2 with something from Acts 15. Galatians 2, as Paul rebukes Peter to the face, the issue is that before Peter has eaten with Gentiles, He's eaten with Gentiles and associated freely with them. He remembers the vision of the great sheep being let down from heaven and all types of four-footed creatures on it. And Peter was told, arise, kill and eat. And though he originally protested, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The Lord says, what I've cleansed, don't call common. And Peter contemplated three times but he understood the vision enough that in Galatians 2 verse 12 prior to the coming of certain men from James and that's what we're going to come back to in just a moment prior, prior to the coming of certain men from James he used to eat with the Gentiles but when they came they began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision those who came from James came down and they said Peter you can't eat with these Gentiles they're eating unclean food. And Peter, in spite of the vision that he had had from God in Acts chapter 10, he withdrew. He listened to that. Shouldn't I? Well, there's a discussion in Acts 15 about the subject. Do Gentiles have to be circumcised? Do they have to be circumcised and commanded to keep the law to be saved? Particularly what is binding, what the Jews seek to bind on them are things like the Sabbath day and feast days and the keeping of clean and unclean foods as well as circumcision. And all those can be demonstrated from the book of Galatians. But notice in Acts 15, verse 34, excuse me, Acts 15, verse 24, they send out a letter. James has been a main speaker here. And remember the text that certain men came from James. In Acts 15, verse 24, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls. These men went out and they told you what I said. They, they told you. They represented themselves as we're from James and we speak from James and, and James doesn't want the Jews and Gentiles eating together. And James among those that write this letter said we gave those men no instruction. They don't 
don't have any authority to say that. That was not our intent. That was not our purpose. That is not what we said. If the issue were just as critical and we were misquoted on a pivotal issue, all of us would respond the same way. All of us. Wait, I didn't say that. So the question of what authority is, it's, it's a good question. But it's a bad question today. It's a bad question. Because they're acting as if there's not been enough evidence to answer it. These religious experts, these who pride themselves on saving the other people from being misled, they aren't able to answer that question. By what authority? Do you do these things? And who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus has made his authority abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7 verse 29, as Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, that he taught with authority and not as the scribes. He doesn't quote other sources. He doesn't refer to what a great rabbi said. He, he doesn't say, well, you know, this could be that. He doesn't do that. He taught with authority. Not only in the Sermon on the Mount, but in the synagogue in Mark 1, verse 22. He taught with authority. And, and the crowds marveled. And how his teaching was so different from the teaching of the religious leaders of their time. They had to quote sources. They had to appeal to this or that. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. They hadn't heard anybody talk like that. The prophets of Israel didn't talk exactly like that. They said, this is what the Lord says. But they didn't say, you've heard this, and then quote a scripture, and say, but I say to you, they didn't see it like that. He taught with authority. And with authority, he cast out demons. He could speak the word, as he does in the synagogue at Capernaum there, in Mark 1 and verse 27. And they marvel and are amazed. He has the authority to command unclean spirits. And they listen to him. Another time that Jesus was in Capernaum, he was teaching in a home, and the, and the house was so filled, it was, there was no more room. You could not access the crowd. You could not access Jesus from the door because it was full, absolutely full. 
But some men had brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they climb up on the roof. And when they climb up on the roof, they dig through the roof and they let down their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. The first thing Jesus said to to him was, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now that may show us that in spite of our physical needs, and this is a paralyzed man, in spite of our physical needs, however severe they are, the greatest need that you face and I face is to be forgiven. To be forgiven. And Jesus said, My son, your sins are forgiven. They began to question this in their hearts. These religious leaders. They had come from Jerusalem to Galilee, according to Luke 5. They questioned this. Who is this man? Who forgives him? Who is this man who forgives him? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, get up and walk. If they doubted his authority to say your sins are forgiven, he is giving them a visible illustration of that. He is telling the paralyzed man, get up and look, I do this in order that you may know that I have the authority to do the other. I question by what authority you do these things. Doesn't sound so good in light of all this evidence. And not only did Jesus do miracles, and not only did his miracles demonstrate his authority, but when Jesus sent the twelve on the limited commission in Mark 3.15 or Matthew 10.1, he summoned the twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He calls the twelve. He gives them authority to heal. They go out casting out demons. They go out healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, and raising the dead by His authority. And as the Gospel of Matthew ends, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Doesn't leave a whole lot for the chief priests and for the elders and the scribes. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's a good question by what authority. From the standpoint, we all want to know what authority there is for a person to act in a particular way.
But it is a foolish question. And a simple question. When asked by people who have plenty of evidence. They have plenty of evidence. It is like they come to Jesus and say, What sign do you show? That question comes in Matthew 12 right after. Right after. He has cast out a demon. And that demon had made a man blind and deaf. The demon's gone. The blind man sees. The deaf man hears and speaks. And they want a sign. But Jesus shows that this question, which was asked to entrap him, not because they were sincerely looking for an answer, Jesus said, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? We have seen as we have gone throughout the gospel of Matthew, we have seen that the kingdom of heaven is generally used in Matthew over the term kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is used some four times. But the term kingdom of heaven is used 33 times. That heaven is a euphemism for God. It's a euphemism for God. To speak of heaven in this case is to speak of God. To speak of men. And so it is a choice. The baptism of John, is it from God or is it from man? Paul remember in talking about his apostleship in the book of Galatians his apostleship was not by man he was not chosen by man but by God these are mutually exclusive and everything we do ultimately comes down to this are we acting by God's authority in heaven's authority or are we acting by men's authority are we acting at the Promptings of God are from the promptings of men. Now, what if we do what we do only because men have originated that? Well, Matthew 19, Matthew 15, excuse me, said something about that. In Matthew 15, the Pharisees and scribes were asking. Why Jesus' disciples break the tradition of the elders by washing their hands before they ate. And Jesus said, why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your transgressions? If you don't remember this text, let me beg you go back and look at it. Because in verse 4, Jesus introduces a statement for God said... And he quotes from the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And then from Exodus 21, he who speaks evil of father or mother shall be put to death. 
He said, for God said, but he contrasts the what God said with what you say. Is it from God or is it from man? Is it from heaven or is it from man? He shows in verse 4 what is from God and he shows in verse 5, you have said this that is not, that, that circumvents what God has said. But in verse 9, in vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. It won't do. It's simply done. It is from man. If it is man's teaching and man's commandment, our worship. Is vain. Our worship is empty. But if it's from God, the words of Gamaliel in Acts 5 38 and 39 if this is from God, we can't stop it. If it's from God, that's a different matter. If it is man, it is empty, it is vain. You know, we're going to think that we don't appreciate being misrepresented, but it's no big deal if God is. The people were afraid to say it's from heaven. People were afraid to say it's from God. And they were afraid to say Because they said, he's going to then ask us, why didn't we believe it? Why didn't we believe it? If something's from God or if something's from man, how do I know? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus never said. He never said, listen to your heart. 
you don't hear that from Jesus. And you don't find Jesus say, you just trust your God. But I'll tell you what you find Jesus doing all kinds of time. Is Jesus saying, it is written. And Jesus appealing to what is written. When a man in Luke 10 verse 25 came to him with bad motives but with a good question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? He didn't ask him what he felt. Didn't ask him what he thought. He said, what has God said. What has God said? That is the question. Now, we can look at Scripture the same way she Not with all the insights and the, and the infallible knowledge that he had, but we can look to Scripture to guide us for our answers. And so we can determine whether something is from heaven or from men. If we're doing it based upon Scripture, if we're doing it just because that's the way we feel. Now let me illustrate by something that was in the news this week. I don't know if all of you kept up with it. And I just heard a little. But one denomination was wondering what to do with a prominent church that had ordained women pastors. Is that from heaven or is that from me? If it's from heaven, we better not stand in the way of it. If it is from me, we better not touch it. And Paul told Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, in verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But the woman will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, I will tell you, God loves women. And God is concerned about women. More than any church that ordains a woman or doesn't ordain. God loves them. And God 
wants them to be sad. But love doesn't always mean that everyone fulfills the same role. And you know, the statement here is not only a reminder to women, but to men as well. To stand up, to be men, to be the spiritual leaders of their house. A survey that I heard several years ago, riding to Tampa one morning to teach, that I have not found directly on the internet, but I want this to seek in on me. A family is not Christians. And someone comes to them and teaches them about Jesus Christ. And one of the children is converted. One of the children is converted first. There is a 7% chance the whole family will be one. So the gospel comes to the family and a mother is converted once. First. The mother is converted and she goes back to the family and brings the good news. 23%. She has much more influence than the young son. 23%. But in this survey, again, I tell you, I have not been able to find it. If someone comes to the family and teaches the father first, ninety-one percent of the time, God knows how He made us. And that passage doesn't simply tell us no to woman preachers, but it tells us yes to men's leadership. Is it from heaven? Or is it from me? The only way I know to determine is just to go to the Bible and examine the Bible and to treat it as we claim we believe that this is God's revelation. And to let it sink down into our hearts. To be the subject, to be the thing that drives us and motivates us. To be the thing that shapes the words that shape our worldview. That tell us what we believe, why we believe. The only way to do that is just to 
See what God said in His Word. The idea of just going back to the Bible and just being what the Bible says is not something that was made up in the 1800s by Alexander Campbell. As Ed Harrell points out in his little track about the subject, there's probably got to be a more popular idea about religious history than to say let's simply go back and follow the Bible. Now there's some sincere people that, that, that want to follow the Bible that I think have missed the point of connection. For example, there's sincere people who have read the Bible and they think, well, what we've got to do is, is restore the spiritual gifts of the first century. I don't think that's the key. I don't think it's the key. I think they're looking the right direction, but I think that's the wrong thing to be looking for. We just want to be as individuals and as collective group of believers what they were. To do what he calls us to do. To be what he calls us to be. To be able to answer the question. He's from heaven. And that's why I obey. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God. You have revealed yourself to us. And we thank you for that. For without it, we would not know the way to walk, nor the direction to go. We see the religious leaders of that day. How they became interested in themselves and holding on to their power. May our goal be to look to you in Scripture and to surrender ourselves to your word. To say, speak, Lord, for we are listening. To let it shape our thoughts, our hearts, our minds. We pray that we are your people, that we have you as our God, and that we point people to your way. In Jesus' name, amen. John 1.12 says, For as many as received him, to them, he gave authority to be sons of God. He has the authority to forgive your sins. He has the authority to make you his son. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that, and you want to turn from your sins and repentance and be buried with him in baptism, we invite you to come as we stand.
Lord, you know. 